And I'm Max Forsyth, founder and managing director at Comsearch and Selection, the specialist in-house communications executive search and recruitment agency covering the UK and US markets and host of the, the Comms Coffee Club podcast. Really looking forward to today's episode. Uh, we have Wesley Iberle, um, who used to be the Chief Comms Officer at Natixis Investment Management, uh, which in his time there over 10 years, he took it from top 100 to a top 10 manager. And uh, prior to that, uh, he grew up in the US uh, and spent his time in US politics. So yeah, it's a really meaty episode. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, don't forget to uh, click like and subscribe uh, and follow our podcast and also join our Patreon as well to get exclusive content and early access to all episodes. So Wesley, welcome to the Comms Coffee Club podcast. Great to have you. Thanks, Max. Great to be here. Really looking forward to this one because you've got a really interesting background um, and some great stories to tell. So let's get so let's get straight into it. Um, yeah, do you want to tell everyone sort of where you grew up? Sure. Um, grew up in central Illinois, uh, in the Midwest of, uh, of the United States. Uh, very center of the state, very center of the country. So about as middle as you can get in every aspect. Yeah. Um, and uh, went to. Ended up on the East Coast for university, started my career out there in politics and uh, the agency world, uh, a series of um, campaign gigs and things like that over the years. And then came to yeah. London about 10 years ago to, uh, to come in-house with a, a former client uh, into a global comms role. It was a bit of a build, a bit of a turnaround, uh, and that uh, had me traveling around the world on a pretty weekly basis for about 10 years. What inspired you to... Uh... To move into communications after that well it really started in politics and um you know, i think uh, i've counseled the numerous young people to to follow a similar track i think when you're when you're just when you're starting out you um the world of politics offers an incredible amount sometimes shocking in retrospect amount mm. of responsibility uh given to very young people who have the ability mm. to work um 150 hours a week for less than minimum wage when you sort of figure it all out. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it was a great start. And I started in what we call in the U.S. what we call field organizing, but um, essentially the groundworks of, of campaigns uh, yes. and working in legislative offices and, and that sort of thing where um, similar to a sort of a parliamentary assistant, although in the U.S. those uh, even those small elected offices um, have have massive budgets and, and massive teams yes. of people on quite a large scale. So a lot of legislative work and campaign work. And long story short, with with comms, I was I was on the working in campaigns and and as you do, starting mm. to look around and think, okay, two things. One, um, you know, what's 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 applicable here, perhaps yeah. in the outside world that will help me as a young twenty something uh, move in uh, move along with my career, mm. um, and um, and also looking at kind of where the where where the food's really made, you know, where where the where the action happens, and I saw mm. both of those things on the comms. Post politics, you moved into public relations. Yes, yeah, so from from there into the agency world, I was at a public affairs agency in um, 
in New England, based between Boston and Washington. Uh, yes. And um, in that period, worked with 100 plus clients, probably in every industry you, you could imagine. We were hmm. um, we we were a bit problem solvers, um, which which is a part of the job I love. There was usually a, a win loss column at the end of the day. We were um, not often an agency of record. We were at times, but hmm. more like be brought in on top of that. So um, we uh, I, 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 that was a great um, that was a great education as well for about uh, about eight years. You mentioned when you moved over to Natixis, they were a former client of yours. So were they a client of of that agency at the time? Were they before you moved over? They were. They were. They were um, early in their in their growth story. Natixis is a top ten asset manager now globally and uh, manages well over a trillion dollars and, and has for a number of years. But when when I began working with him, it was more of a Franco-American partnership. Um, certainly didn't resemble the group it, it was today. A bit of a holding company, been through a number of name changes, and, and a new CEO had taken over and um, yes, really had a strong vision for uh, what this company could, could become. And yes. um, so I started working with him, started working with the group to, to help them um, start to think about how to apply those ideas uh, into to, to the market position, to the, uh, to, to the basic messaging, to their value proposition, to themselves, their shareholders, their employees, uh, their clients, et cetera. So a lot of that was, a lot of those early years were working, um, every sermon needs a preacher, as we say. Yes. And so a lot of the work was with that CEO at the time. And um, when it came time to really execute globally and, and grow that business internationally, I was brought in and, and moved to London to, to do that. So then over yes. my time, we expanded around Europe and uh, Asia, Latin America and so forth. So it was um, yes, it was a great experience because was a, there was a lot of execution on communications, but there was also a lot of what I think we all do in this industry, uh, loose call management and diplomacy. Lightly tasked, even though it might not be in the official job description, to to do the the shuttle diplomacy that's that's often involved yes. in global business, right? And and to to be the the voice of the CEO of the the rest of the executive committee of the the mm. board, um, you know, and and be able to because we we often we have the political and the communication skills to be dispatched to whatever issue it might be, yes. and make sure everyone's being brought along with um mm. with the uh direction of travel that's been set out from the top and um, so I, yes. I had a great experience with that as well and i think that's what we uh, we all love and relish about good good comms roles is um we're mm. we're uh, we're part of the management team we're part of building the business um and what we do is valued such mm. and i think we'd, we'd all agree that those are the the types of jobs and roles we love and that we really enjoy and because we we know that our skills are being being put to the the best use and being put to the test and we're being challenged and, and we're delivering the value that we know we can bring uh, yes right if um you know our, our advice is always worth more before the fact than after the fact um 
Yeah, very true. Yes, if you can keep something out of the press, particularly if it's a crisis. Worth more after the fact, because uh, we all love the bills of crisis comms, but I think for, for uh, mm. Mm. the business, our voice is always much more valuable before the press. Yes, of course. Um, and for context, I think it would be useful uh, just to understand if you can remember when you first started working with them, even agency side, you know, how big were they? Can you remember, you know, roughly what their AUM was and, you know, some of their portfolio and their investments would be useful to, to get a feel for, uh, yeah, that, that sort of scale and size and what sort of structure they had in place. Yes, of course. Well, I'd, I'd say AUM, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'd say the business roughly doubled in size, uh, probably more than that on the international side, but I'd say we about doubled mm. in size for my time there. Um, yes. And and most importantly, it I think rather than just the growth in, in turnover and assets and so forth was mm. how the business really transformed. Um, yes. For example, when I, I remember in the very early days, um, before I, before they became a client of mine, one of their old slogans was the name behind the name. So there, there was, not only was there, was there not a, a coherent global message, but there was actually a tagline that said that there wasn't. Um, so there, it, they really come a long way in terms of standing for something. And the CEO at the time, I, I mentioned you, who, who had that strong vision, um, also, it also came at a great time just following the financial crisis where, where he yes. realized, I think before a lot of other large global asset managers, that um, it wasn't going to be enough to, uh, that, that successful companies in this industry were, were going to have to stand for something, right? So yes. the, the financial crisis um, was not, I probably agree, wasn't caused by this asset management, the savings industry per se. Um, yes. not where the risk taking was, that's not where the poor risk management was, mm. but it was an industry that had done very little to protect their clients from the fallout of that financial crisis. There wasn't a model in asset management of professional services, uh, mm. like uh, we, we see in other, uh, kind of direct consumer consulting, right? Whether it's legal or accounting or you know, choose your profession, um, Yes, yeah, spread your portfolio, yeah. spread your industry, spread your risk. Yeah, certainly. And um, so he had a very, he had a really strong vision for what a new successful global asset management company could look like and how it could operate coming out of the crisis. And um, mm. so a lot of that early work was helping, working with the group to realize what that that looked like. Um, and I think that was, that's what was most interesting over, over the time there. You mentioned the strap line, the name behind the name. <laughs> yes, it, it was it was one year before my time. I'm trying to get my head around what that what that could mean. <laughs> uh, well, it's exactly. Yeah, it's a affiliate um, with a with a big uh, portfolio of brands. The the idea of the name behind the names was uh, yes. Was, yes old strap yes. line from, uh, from many years from prior they were content yeah. to just be a whole company but but again that's that goes back to I would say sort of the dinosaur days of asset management when firms hadn't there wasn't a, a strong realization that we, we have to stand for more than that this is long before um, the, the 
the campaigns here in the, the UK, the changing around um, how financial advice is, is priced. Mm, it's not just the asset management. You, know, you look at the private equity industry, the private element of it was always, you know, really, really was seen as it's private equity. So therefore, it's none of your business if you were outside the business. <laughs> and perhaps it's the 24-hour news cycle, social media, et cetera, people talk. Very little is private now. <laughs> so even if you have a private equity firm, difficult to keep it private, right? I think we can we can look out from the fifty thousand foot level. We can look out over recent years, and we can see industries uh, littered with examples like that. Um, tech was the same way, right? The, this idea that we're um, that that um, this kind of boundless success and um, would would just keep rolling forward, and um, we can we can do what we want. We we don't have to worry about transparency. We don't have to worry about um, what we're doing to our customers, how we're tracking them. You know, it's just there's very little thought given to a lot of business decisions where where comms people can can be really helpful. Right, this is where we bring our value. Sometimes someone needs to be at the table to say, oh, "Wait a second, is that really right? Yeah, is that really." Oh. Bring the uh, bringing the outside in, and I think we can look at a lot of industries recently. And again, I think tech's a great one where, seemingly, if there was, if there were those voices, and, and mm. from a number of issues in companies that there were dissenting voices, but they were mm. shunned to the side, right? So mm. they weren't given the prominence, or they didn't have representation at in the boardroom or or at the executive yes. committee, and yes. then and that's when country companies and, and industries get in trouble. When they, um, when when they yeah. push those oh. voices aside, and there's no one to ask, sometimes just the basic, um, the, the the basic finger in the wind of um, is this really the right thing to do? Is is that the right yeah. way to treat our customers? Yeah, we want it that way. Um, yeah, and it comes from pressures from the investors or the you know all the VC funds or the asset managers or the PE funds of, hey, you know we're expecting a you know, a decent return on our investment here. And, you know, they can often get very, you know, it all becomes about, you know, client and customer acquisition, you know, spend a whole load of money on marketing campaigns, et cetera. Um, yeah, you know, quite often communications can be, can be an afterthought. We don't want to come across as, as, as doomsayers, um, mm. you know, predicting something bad's going to happen and therefore we have to do something today. Um, to prepare for it or build political capital, journalistic capital, mm. whatever it may be. Mm. We don't want to come across as doomsayers, but but it uh, it is a, it is quite a practicality, right? That eventually yeah. um, something is going to come up that that um, a company or an industry or whatever it may be is going to have to mm. deal with it, um, and and hopefully we've we've laid uh, some of the groundwork and built the um, not just the, the capital with with outside stakeholders, but the capabilities mm. inside the group. And what's yes. really needed is is doing the harder work of building um, skill sets inside mm. group, making sure you have the right people in place with the right mm. uh, with with the right skills and knowledge and and so forth. And that yes. um, that that's much more important, right? Because what what matters in a crisis. The people around the table and the decisions they make. What did you do from a from a 
from that messaging point of view to help enable that change and transformation? In terms of the cultural transformation, uh, first of all, I think it, it, it starts at the top. Um, yeah. I've seen companies over the years try to sort of do, do a number of silly things like let's try to figure out what our culture is by surveying people. If you don't know what your culture is, I, I think you got to take a, a step back before that and, and ask yourself why you don't know what your company culture is. Mm -hmm. um, Survey Monkey is going to sort it out for you or try to impose culture or things like that. Um, culture comes from the top, right? It comes from a, a leader with a very clear vision. Um, yes. And they can articulate it. And then it, it involves having people to, to take that around, right? To, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not giving a speech at, a, at the annual meeting or you know, the monthly email or whatever it, is, whatever mm. it may be. It's, it's, there, there's a lot of personal interaction. And I, I think we, that's, that's what helped us be really successful, particularly with global companies. Um, and, and as we're getting back, uh, no one's happier than I am to be getting back to the more interpersonal world um, mm. because it's all well and good to, to communicate um, information, uh, right, via these these kind of uh, more flat screen-to-screen uh, -screen interactions. But yes. convincing people or bringing people along, whether it be mm. your CEO of Japan or the new person you've hired to run uh, half of Latin America, or the, the your head of um, Germany and Austria, who's been there for 15, 20 years and has yes. sort of been left alone to and not had a European group around him, and it's been very loose. Whatever the kind of company structures, trying to knit together these global mm. cultures, um, you have to show up. Um, yeah, yeah, you have to show up and be in front of people, and and that's that's the way to bring people along. I think number one and number two. Uh, showing people some feedback of those results, all right? There's, they're showing up, there's bringing mm. people, convincing people along to move in the right direction or, or mm. organize this business together globally or work together in, in, in a certain way. And this, and this works across industries, I think, of course, and, yes. and in all sizes, shapes and sizes. Um, and then there's, when people do do that, when they say, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to try it your way. When you start to get some of that, then it's really important to feed back to people and help them see how that's helping. Uh, for you know, whether that's you know, maybe it's taking a, a new country head or or a head of a business line and who's you maybe you're training media training them or introducing them to to a, a more high profile role than they've had in the past um, yes. and. Making sure you really shepherd them through, help them, mm. help be successful at it, so that when when they agree to do it your way, say the, the CEO's new CEO's way or whatever it is, they agree to yes. change, do something a new way, that mm. you help them realize success with that. It's fed back to them immediately. And that's really important too, and and it just builds trust, right? I mean, it, so much yes. of this is is based on trust and and coming to people with kind of um, you know, with empty hands. Not, I'm not here to, I'm, I'm here to help. Without yeah. that, I think you, you get, um, you'll get a lot of people who, you know, you, you'll get that kind of reaction across a group of everyone saying the right thing because they mm -hmm. know they're supposed to say it, but not really believing it. 
if yes. they don't believe it's them or it doesn't work or what whatnot. And that's that's not any kind of recipe for sustainable success. I'm interested on your points around uh, around that feedback. How have you facilitated that? You know, what channels have you used for that? Have you done that? I use the example of um, you know, I use the example of media relations and interviews and that kind of thing. I, I think it's a lot of maybe feedback's the wrong word as as in terms of I don't think it's reporting back to people. I think it's helping them be successful so that they can see they're having success with whatever this this way that they're being asked to be, right? Building mm-hmm. this cult, knitting things together, getting everybody singing from the same songbook. If if they're able, if they're supported and able to see that it's working for them and it's good for them. Yes. It's, it's, that's what that's what works for people, right? And I, I think people, uh, not everybody's, you know, the people have their own, um, um, have their own objectives, their own ideas of what success looks like. And, um, you know, there's a, it sounds crass to say that what's in it for me, but I think if you, if you show people that the direction you're wanting them to move mm-hmm. is personally successful for them and you help them through that, then you build a lot of trust and you get a lot of long-term buy-in. And I think yes. that's, that's the kind of global culture you want. Um, you mentioned CEOs and kind of, the, the the idea of walking around and I, I I do think that's really important but I think even more important than that is is sincerity I've had I've heard so many people or clients over the years say to me things like well you know my CEO I, he or she is not they're they're a bit shy or this or that and mm-hmm. and uh, so this might be difficult or whatnot and and I've always said that there's it doesn't matter. Um, uh, it's, it's just about sincerity. You can be, you can be shy as can be. You can also be gregarious and nobody buys it. Mm. Um, mm. Right. I mean, the same old adage goes for politics. I mean, you know, people are smarter than people are smarter than a lot of leaders think they, they sincerity comes is, is it's hard to fake. Um, mm. and it's very transparent. Mm. And you'll mm. see it to me um, whether you really believe in what you're saying. Um, yes. And if you don't, no one else is going to buy it either. No matter how, no matter how available you make yourself, or like, there, there's no silver bullet, right? There's no, you know, well, mm. I don't believe in this, and I'm not really sincere about it. But hey, I'm going to have open office hours and have a company meeting where everyone can ask me questions, et cetera, et cetera. Because that's somehow going to fix that's somehow going to fix the issue, and then um, and it's not. It's a, there is no silver bullet. You, you have to believe it. You have to be sincere, and then people will come along. I think particularly what I've seen, you know, almost sort of vicariously living a communications career through clients and candidates over the last few years. I think lots of good examples of where that's been done right. But I think, you know, perhaps where I've seen it perhaps not been done so well is I'd suggest that most leaders and CEOs, of course, they believe in their overarching business strategy because they wouldn't be in the job if they didn't. But then from a communications point of view, what they can say, you know, whether it's on a roadshow or whether it's externally to the press, you know, it can be, it can be about something that's 
actually not particularly related to the business strategy at all, but it may be you know, something that's hot within the general communications or PR trend, whatever's getting some media traction, for example, but it might actually have absolutely nothing to do with the business or nothing to do with the business strategy. Yet leaders can get farmed out to talk about it and it comes across as fake because they don't believe in it. And why would they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or it, or the, as you said, it doesn't fit with the actual business strategy on a fundamental level. I mean, we, the world's abound with ESG examples now, right? Because mm. in the, the, you know, if, if you're, if your company's business strategy is fundamentally not environmental, social governance focused, it, it, it's starting to become silly to, to, to then, you know, put that on the corner of your website. Um, because yeah, because you just look silly and you look stupid. And, you know, actually, I think that's where a good comms council comes in and just goes, look, <laughs> we're not about this. <laughs> we shouldn't be talking about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or, or say what you do do and what you can do. But everybody sees through the, the, the vapid policies and empty words. And um, you know, unfortunately, I think empty words and empty language is, is, um, is something that we've, we, our industry has become a, a bit cursed with. And I, I think we, we ought to do better um, considering we're responsible for a lot of that part of the business um, mm. to a lot of that up. You know, I, I think there's a lot of empty language out there. And what do you think that is? Examples, but um, I think because it's personally, I think it's lazy. Um, it's an easy thing to do. Um, jargon, because it looks, I think it, because it passes the test internally, right? We, we can think of an example. You, you, you come up with something, a, a policy, a statement, a, you know, your vision, whatever it may be. And it mm. developed internally and, um, and everyone internally says, oh, that looks looks really good, yeah. And and everyone feels like they've ticked the box simultaneously, but there's no one at the table to say. And this is what our role should be as comms as comms people to say, mm. "I'm sorry, that doesn't mean anything. Those mm. sentences mean anything. Those words have no meaning. It's it's just it's just vapid. It's 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 gobbledygook." Um, and it's not going to mean anything to your customers. And they'll probably think less of you for even saying it. Um, mm. than see, um, yeah, see, this raises a really interesting point, actually. And there's something I've thought about a bit. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of examples, you know, don't have to name the companies at all. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of examples recently where, yeah, you know, clearly there's been a lot of, is employee activism the right phrase? I don't know. But where, you know, I think things are being said to please certain employees over, as you say, the end client or the customer and what they're actually interested in or, you know, what they really want from that business as their service provider. Um, yeah, what do you think on that? Do you think... Do you think uh, do you think external communications needs to take more precedence, you know, in in the balance between the internal and the external piece? I think sometimes we 
we need to take more risks. I think, and I and I understand the position that you know, people in our seats feel they're often in. Um, but I think our, and when I say take risks, I mean as people, as professionals. I think sometimes it, it's hard to be the one at the table to stand up and say that this is a bad idea when everyone else thinks it's a great idea. Yes. And there can be a lot of professional risk in that. I think, I'm not saying it's easy, but I think we as comms professionals should probably do more of that and could do more of that because it's all we have. We're not accountants, we're not lawyers, um, and our opinion is, and, and our knowledge and our uh, intuition is what we've trained and apprenticed and, and built experience mm. able to do. Mm. And I, when, when we're at the, first of all, the comms professional needs to be on the executive committee, on the management team at all times. That's sort of yes. It's, it's often our role is to be the lone voice. Um, mm. And mm. I can think of, I've done that in, in my career and it's, caused me to be on the outs for a little while, you know, to be on mm. the outs for a while with the CEO because uh, maybe it's a crisis situation. The CEO wants to do X, Y, or Z. And of course the rest of the cabinet, so to speak says, Oh yes, of course, that's absolutely. Mm. do that." Mm. And then the comms person is the one saying, Hey, as my mother used to say, uh, as we used to say in the Midwest, if it feels good, don't do it. And, mm. All of a sudden, the one seat at the table in the crisis or in the, the critical business discussion, whatever it may be, saying, no, this is a bad idea mm. and can't support it because we're not the CFO saying, hey, this is a bad idea because, look, I've run the numbers or mm -hmm. the council saying, hey, this is a bad idea because here are the three re you know, legal exposure issues. Yes. Our, our predictions are a little more ephemeral, right? We, we say this is mm. a bad idea because... It could go over poorly. It could be received poorly. It could be, um, it could backfire. Or just, and you know, this is a meaningless. Or to take it back to the, the, the language question. You know, this is mm. meaningless. Um, and so often the, 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 the risk that we predict sometimes is further down the road. Mm. Um, that can be a hard proposition to stand behind when the rest of the table thinks something's a great idea. Uh, but I, I think we need to do that more because that's, that's our value. Mm. Yeah. The intuition piece um, and the nuance piece, I, I, one is important, but two, I, two, I think it's absolutely fascinating. And I think um, you know, they're probably the two reasons why you know, I don't, I, I truly don't believe that, that, communications leaders functions will get replaced by AI and the reason I say that uh, I think yeah you know sometimes there can be a business decision where you have you have all the trend data you know you have everything that's trending across Google social media sites whatever it's getting picked up by industry magazines the wider press you know, you can have all of those 
all of those data points and all of those signals going green light, green light, green light. There's something about your intuition that says, doesn't feel right. Who's the best, who's the best leader you've worked for or with in terms of their communications? Oh, that's a great question. So honestly, so many. I, I, I wouldn't pick one. I can give you a few examples. Um, I certainly, the, the CEO I mentioned who uh, brought me into to those early days of Natixis to help him execute that vision he had was, uh, was one of the best business leaders I've, I've worked with. Um, yes. And what was and, his name? Uh, John Heiler. John Heiler. John Heiler. In the back in the U.S. now, but uh, great business leader, great um, great uh, leader of of people, and and a great uh, visionary. Um, I've and during my years in Boston, I worked for great political leaders. I, I, the late Edward Kennedy was um, uh, someone I'll always be um, deeply honored to have have worked for, um, and someone who. Um, really informed as well at a young age, the, the kind of um, practical and, and pragmatic uh, politics that I, I believe in still today. He was, a, hmm. he was a, nicknamed the liberal line of the Senate. So he was a great, um, great leader of the left, but, but, but known for the, what became the sort of Kennedy uh, half a loaf philosophy. Um, yes. You take up a loaf and, and you move on. First, you have to win. And I um, avoid a, a big digression, but um, I think my party and, and some of the parties of the left and the right have, have really lost our way on that idea and, and forgotten that um, um, what we're really, you know, what, what, what the goal really is, is, is to help people. Um, and, um, mm. and first, First, we have to win. What's the fav or what's your most favorite campaign you've you've ever worked on? And this doesn't have to be political, by the way. This could be, you know, kind of this could be a comms campaign that you've done that just got picked up everywhere. Or, um, you know, you spoke earlier around your global experience. You know, have you got an example of a campaign where you know it just started getting picked up in Europe, South America, North America, Asia? For Natixis, a lot of that was was the, the the kind of core business and brand growth. Um, you know, we were a name that was unheard of when I began. We were, didn't rank, didn't even rank in the top 100 in Europe, and we were top 10 when I left. So yes. there were a lot of um, we were very aggressive. Um, we had a lot of fun, kind of saying yes to everything. We, we built a global comms team. Um, I, I was the first one to arrive in London. So I was able to build a team from scratch, having senior people in London, senior people in Paris, bringing people in, um, bringing in 15 great agency partners around the world, uh, most of whom were with us for the 10 years I was there and still are. Uh, yes. And so we had a lot of fun with, with brand campaigns and being, being able to be nimble and say yes to everything. Um, and to say yes to any new idea. And, um, when I think of specific campaigns, and I, I mentioned some of the union leaders I worked with, um, those were often quite fun. I'll have to, I'll, I'll leave out a few of the, I can't 
I'll leave a few of the details out, but um, those were those were quite unique uh, campaigns sometimes, and so we we had mm. a lot of we had a lot of fun with those. There was one thing you think that asset management firms should be doing differently or need to do in terms of communications. What would you say it is? I would say if there's one thing they need to do, it's strip out, strip out the jargon, strip out the, it's an industry that's sometimes seems like it goes out of its way to speak in a language that its end customers don't really get. Um, and frankly, all sounds the same. Um, one of the things I mm. was most surprised at, looking back at my 10 years in asset management, and prior to that, having worked in across dozens of different industries, was the degree of sameness in, in the industry. Mm. It, is, it, was, it was shocking to me at the time, and still is 10 years later, the degree to which the players in this industry generally are all saying and doing and creating the same products at the same time and saying the same things about them, etc. Mm. Now, okay, I, mm. there's a there's a certain market component here, and and I'm sure someone in the industry would say, well, hey, we're we're responding to markets, responding to consumer demand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's why we're all doing the same thing at once. There's an element mm. of that. There's also an element of that in every industry. Of course, industries of course. are responding to changing needs of customers and the environment and so forth. And I think sometimes the asset management industry thinks they're more unique than they really are. And when you, I think you look at the industry in that broad context of, mm. of business, I think it's exceptionally surprising how much sameness there is. And I think... Therefore, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the industry. Regulations are, of course, a big challenge. Mm. But with existing players, and I think we proved this at Natixis, and I think it still holds true that even within the big firms and the big groups, um, there's a lot of opportunity to, to say something a little different, to, to, to mm. chart your own path and to be brave enough to go in a slightly different direction than everyone else. Um, or mm. do things somewhat differently, or say we operate in a different way, um, or our, 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 you know, our, our, our kind of market proposition or our value proposition mm. is mm. more fundamentally different for these reasons X, Y, and Z. And I think there's still a lot of room for that for for big players to 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 do that successfully and to really gain market share because of it. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. No, yeah. And I agree. I think, um, yeah, you're right. There's an element of course they're going to shift, generally speaking, as a group with market or industry trends. You know, there, are, there are lots of different ways you can say things, not just in language, but also in terms of channels or content or how you get that message out there. I think also, I think the industry, you know, really needs to change is the amount of press releases or stuff that goes out on LinkedIn, for example, is all around, you know, their latest acquisition or their latest deal, whatever, fine. But, you know, what is 
what is genuinely of value to their investors and the end client and the end customer? You know, what are their investments, you know, helping to do? You know, what's the value in them? Except it's that that storytelling piece, you know, bringing those investments to life, which I think, generally speaking, the industry's pretty crap at. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, I think operating models as well have a lot. I think it's one of the things that Natixis did fundamentally well and, and was a really important part of the strategy from the beginning was the idea that we're going to sell in a different way instead of going to the client and saying, okay, you know, here's what I have to sell you today. Um, that old commoditized model instead having a more sophisticated sales force that sits down with a client and says, let's talk about your portfolio. What do you need? Yeah. Maybe I don't have it for you. I don't know. Let's, let, let's, let's chat. Let's, let me help you. Let me give you, you know, created a, a, a big service of, of loss leading free advice that we would offer to clients for free portfolio yes. analysis, sorts of things that not like some of the big players in the industry do that today, but the, but the end result is rec is a, is a sheet recommending their own products. That's not, it's not really sincere, is it? Um, no. So we, well, we had a service that was product diagnostic, just was sophisticated sales advice and portfolio advice. And, and that was a, was a fundamentally different way, not necessarily a new business model, right? The, the no. model's the same. It's a different way to sell. It's a different way to interact with your client. It creates a different value proposition. And I think there's a lot of room for for things like that in the industry and i think there's um it's been an industry with fantastically high margins very mm -hmm. sticky sets um and i think there are a lot of firms that are afraid to rock the boat um mm -hmm. you know, when you have average margins of 30 percent and you you can easily ride through crisis because you can just sit on your assets and yes you did well through covid because you know, you can just sit on your assets. The revenue keeps coming. The turnover stays relative. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great industry. It's very, um, and I think people are you know, sometimes that that can often lead and to uh, to a dearth of risk taking. Um, yeah, maybe it's because you have shareholders that um, might not want you to. Um, yeah, but I think long term success depends on it in the industry, and I think there's a lot of room to do it. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you know, anyone that sits on their, you know, kind of sits on their hands and uh yeah, you know, to sort of rest on their laurels, you know, there is, you know, I I guess, you know, kind of the great thing about any industry, there are always innovators and there'll always be one or two disruptors who who manage to push through and, you know, and break the wall if you like. Um yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think certainly long term, yeah. Yeah, funds and asset managers do need to think hard about that. Um, but of course, you know that can be a difficult, or maybe not even difficult. Just a, you know, do we really want to put the effort into doing it and thinking about it when we don't need to right now? Wesley, yeah, kind of thank you very much for coming on the pod. It's been great. Really enjoyed it. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug? No, that's uh, that's great, Max. I appreciate it. Um, loved uh, loved taking the time. So, very interesting conversation. Um, we uh, yeah, no worries, you know, pleasure. It's, uh, it's always it's always nice in our industry to take out some time to uh, to 
to, to talk about ourselves and our own issues instead of just our clients. So it's uh, it's, yeah. it's always a it's always a thought provoking and, and rewarding discussion to uh, to talk with other uh, people who really understand the the uniqueness of the role and how it's changing. And um, so I, I love doing it. So thanks a lot. Yeah. Super, no worries, pleasure. Yeah, look, and thank you very much for coming on. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.